capitalist. <laughs> and so we're learning more and more that you don't have to uh, try to, sometimes the phrase is used, you don't have to blow your own horn. You don't have to make a lot of noise to try to get done what God wants us to get done. One of the things we've observed in Harrisburg is several ministries have tried to announce their presence make their presence known to try to draw lots of people to them because they keep thinking we got to do this in some big grand fancy way but that's not how god is moving I, I love that we're celebrating christmas at this time and do you know that the marvelous thing about christmas is that christ came into the world but he came in meek and lowly humble Nobody knew what was going on. We can read the story now, and sometimes when we watch TV movies about it, it seems like the whole world knew all about it, but they really didn't. It wasn't a show. It was very much undercover. Very much undercover. No, no, didn't hardly anybody know. When he was born, born in a manger, born in a, in a, in a barn, <laughs> in a stable, um, and... Uh, and even when God announced it, who do you announce it to? A bunch of shepherds. And unlike what the movies have shown us, shepherds in those days were not grown, fully grown men. They were just like David as a little boy. They were teenagers. The job of shepherding was often given to, to the young people. And so even when God announced it to the world, he announced it to a bunch of kids. <laughs> They were just out in the field keeping watch over there, just like King, just like the later he became King David, but just like David, I'm just watching over my daddy's flock. So God didn't announce it to the whole world. And we just read today how the Magi, they, they knew about it only because of the, the prophecies and, uh, that had been uh, spoken about it. And these were not necessarily uh, Hebrew and uh, you know, godly prophecies, Somehow the word got out that a savior was coming to the world and it infiltrated every culture, even the people that were into astronomy and astrology, which is what the Magi were. They were into both astrology and astronomy, but they knew to look for a sign. And when they saw that sign in the heavens, then they knew that somewhere, somewhere uh, a deliverer has come that had been prophesied and spoken about. And when they made their way there, by the time they got there, um, uh, the family was no longer in the stables. Like sometimes we see in the movies, they were in a house. Read the scripture. It actually says they found them in a house. Uh, so by the time they got there, uh, it was, again, no one knew. And Herod had gotten word about it. And with his crazy self, <laughs> I like that you said, liar, liar. <laughs> Tells them, when you find him, tell me where he is so I can come worship. Uh, and again, they were the only ones that knew. And because the Lord warned them in a dream, they didn't go back and tell them. They went back home a different way. And so the world wasn't aware of what was going on. It wasn't like we have today. There was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. There was no social media. There wasn't even television and radio. Everything depended upon word of mouth announcements being made uh, and of course with the Roman Empire uh, being in power at that time pretty much the only news that mattered to them is whatever was coming out of Rome <laughs> that's the only thing that mattered to them and even when they got word of it of these kinds of things happening it didn't matter to them because as far as they're concerned nobody's bigger than Caesar so I'm putting it in perspective to help us all to understand what God does is often undercover, under the radar. The greatest, I still believe that the greatest things that have happened on this planet, um, most, we've never known about them. They have not been on TV shows. They've not been captured by the news. And we as believers have got to stop uh, looking for the things of God to happen in some big grandiose way. In fact, by the time, we, uh, the, even with the great revivals that we can read about and whole cities being changed, um, those revivals began in prayer. Yes. It didn't start with the big meetings. 
It didn't, it never, none of them ever started with the big meanings. I love the stories when you hear about Charles Finney and how someone, there was a, uh, uh, what was his wife or, or some gentleman who would go ahead of him and just pray. So by the time he arrived, the, the principalities, the powers, their, their influence was broken. And so we ha I believe God wants us to get accustomed to him operating that way. And we know that that's what's been happening with us. He slips us in under the undercover and just ministering to a small group of people, a staff in a women's shelter, and then start ministering to some of the women and the, who are residents in the shelter. And then those who, um, they eventually, they've now got us ministering to women who are no longer in the shelter, but they're trying to get started in their life. And we're part of their process of starting over again. And then in the midst of that, uh, some other churches and ministries who found out about what we're doing saying, I want to do that. We want to get in. Uh, come and train us and help us to get in. And so isn't, it's amazing how God will start a wildfire with just a little spark Amen. that no one knows anything about. And so I'm saying that to encourage you today for where God has you in your life. Don't ever assume that nothing is happening because you don't know about it. Sometimes I see that amongst believers. Of course, we're in, in the Harrisburg area, and when you're in a city area, it's very is easy for city folks to think that if, if they don't know about it, nothing's happening. And with this social media uh, world that we live in, uh, many people think that that's so, that if it's not on Facebook and if it's not on Twitter, then, you know, then really nothing's happening. Sometimes we even have a bad habit of saying the church isn't doing anything. And I beg to differ. Amen. I, do I, I don't believe the church is sitting back in the United States and not doing anything. Do you expect this world's media to advertise what God is doing? <laughs> so we must not get discouraged because we don't hear about it or because we don't see it. That's intentional by God because it keeps us depending upon him and trusting him. Um, for those of you that come from sports world, your former basketball playing pastor, he understands this. You design plays and people have assignments and you're supposed to, you're responsible for your assignment. If you inbound the basketball and then your next move is to go down the court and go to a certain spot and wait for a pass that's supposed to come to you, uh, then you're responsible to do that. You're not responsible to try to keep up with who's got the ball now, what's going on. No, you're responsible to get in your position and be where you're supposed to be. And when the other team has the ball, there's a man that you're supposed to be covering. If it's man-to-man -man coverage, that's your job. And so we have to get accustomed to being responsible for our job, being where we're supposed to be. And in the and often, or the past few years, uh, We've gotten so concerned with what other parts of the body are doing that we'll stop doing our part. So do your part. Can you hear it today? Or just say, Lord, I want to do my part. I want to be where I'm supposed to be. Even in our families, I want to be where I'm supposed to be doing what you're telling me to do. And trusting, that's the, that's the part of sports, and you love that part. Uh, the part of sports is trusting that your teammates are doing their part. And the way God is moving in this hour, we must trust that our teammates, they're doing their part. They're following the assignment that God has given them. It may feel like, well, if I run all the way down there and I haven't, and how do I know that they're going to pass the ball to me at the right time and the right place? That's not our job. That's not our responsibility. Just trust that they're going to be doing what they're supposed to be doing at the right time. Another thing that's happened, and I'm sharing this with you on purpose uh, with you today because this is part of our Christmas story today. Um, Carol and I have, act, have also been asked to take this training. There's a ministry that we're now connected with called I Change Nations. Um, we're affiliate members with them. They go all over the United States and the world, and one of the things that they do is they go into communities 
to help that community uh, with whatever conflicts or areas of change that they're trying to bring about. And one of those areas is in Amarillo, Texas, where they've gone, they, they, they went earlier this year because there is a strong Burmese population in Amarillo and law enforcement and, and uh, health care and social uh, uh, workers and all those, all of them are having a hard time connecting with this community. Um, and so I Change Nations was brought in to help them to start making the connection. And then they came to us, Carol and I, and asked us to write up a training to help the people in, the government people in, Bur in, in uh, Amarillo with these Burmese people. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and I'm sharing this with you because as far as we're concerned, you're family. You're part of this. This isn't just happening to Chris and Carol. You're part of this. And so we're giving you the testimony of what your support of us is doing. That's what's happening because you're praying for us, because you're, you're supporting us. And God is opening up opportunities like that. And then another thing that's happening, I've got lots of testimonies for you today. Uh, another thing that's happening is um, I Change Nations was, uh, is, has now started their own international television network. They, are, they, they got connected with a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Larry Fisher out of Chicago. Uh, he has a international network called Christ Family Network, uh, and his network is running on the, the new smart TVs and uh, uh, the, what's, what, what's the channel called? Roku. I don't know if you guys are familiar with all of that, but when you buy these televisions now, a lot of them come with their own channels and everything on them. Uh, like you can get a TV and it's got Netflix already installed. It's already got Hulu installed. I hope those names make sense to you. <laughs> it's already got YouTube installed and it's already on the television. And so uh, uh, this Christian family network is already installed on some of the new smart TVs that are coming out. And I Change Nations uh, now has their own network on there. And uh, it's called the Golden Rule Initiative Network. Well, the leader of I Change Nations has now opened up an opportunity for me and Carol to have a, a regular broadcast on their network. Isn't it? I'm like, how did this happen? <laughs> um, Again, why am I sharing this with you? Because uh, you, you are directly responsible because you did your part. You said, Lord, we're going to bless this couple. We're going to support this couple. You had no idea. We had no idea what God was doing. In fact, I'll be talking with the, the head of the Christ Family Network tonight. Uh, to begin to work out what time and what day, what day of the week and what time we'll be on every week. I'm like, how did this happen? But I'm telling you, uh, I'm standing before you to give you this testimony uh, that God not only can, but he will do incredible, marvelous things uh, through your life. Now, is it because we were pursuing all of this? We weren't pursuing any of this. We weren't looking to try to take a training program to uh, churches all over Harrisburg. We weren't looking for uh, uh, a, a TV broadcast. The only thing we wanted to do was just break past those barriers that are in Harrisburg to get to the people. That's all we were ever trying to do. We're trying to get to the people, the ones who really need God. And God has opened up these doors and these opportunities for us to do just that. And so uh, you just never know. This is what we were talking with our family about uh, Friday night. You have to understand the call on your life. Um, we had no idea, uh, Carol and I, when we first accepted the call in ministry, that it would lead to us moving to this part of the country. Um, I love telling this story. It was May of 1991, we were sitting in a church service. My brother, pastor, 
um, had invited a guest speaker, several guest speakers for a weekend conference. In fact, it was called an international ministry uh, conference. Every year, a conference to uh, make this, you know, get us inner city people to think beyond ourselves and consider world missions. So he brought in all these speakers from, a, from around the country to encourage our congregation about getting involved in world missions. Yeah, my brother's very innovative. <laughs> he was way ahead of his time. You know, that's 20, 25, almost 26 years ago that he was already trying to get us inner city people to think globally. Well, we're sitting, it's a Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, gentleman is preaching, and then he stops in the middle of his sermon and looks at me, me and my wife are sitting over on this section of the church with everybody else. At that time, the church was four years old. Uh, uh, we, I had a four-year-old son. The twins were only a year old. We're helping out in, in uh, making copies of tapes. There was no CD stuff back in those days. We're just recording the messages and making copies of the tapes uh, for my brother and helping out when, you know, cleaning the building, you know, helping out in any way that help is needed. And, and this gentleman stops in the middle of his message and says, you, come here, and calls me up and then tells my wife, said, tell her to come up here also. You know, she's your better half. <laughs> Call your better half up here. And he proceeds to, to prophesy over our lives about the call of God upon us. Of, 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 he said, I don't see uh, sick beds, but I see people with sickness of soul. And I called you together that you would heal them. Then he went on to prophesy about us being helping with the teenagers. In fact, part of prophecy was, Lord, give him a heart like a teenager again. <laughs> now, what he didn't know was that my brother had asked me and my wife to take the teen, the teen ministry in the church, the teenagers. And I had said, no, 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 no. And here were my reasons. Number one, I don't like rap. <laughs> and these kids are in the rap. <laughs> We were 30-something years old at that time, and so that I hope that kind of settles a misnomer. I want you to understand, when rap came out, their parents didn't like it either. It was sort of like when rock and roll came out and their parents didn't like it, the same way it was with rap. Yeah, so don't think all black people like rap. No, their parents didn't like it. <laughs> like, no, we, we grew up listening to, you know, Marvin Gaye and, you know, James Brown and, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire, real groups, real music, you know, Motown. And then they come out with all of this beat. I'm like, what is that? That's not music. <laughs> and so I said, no, I don't like rap. I can't understand that these teenagers are talking about. I don't like teenagers. <laughs> because they're emotional, their hormones are out of control. I don't know, I don't want to have anything to do with teenagers. And here's this prophet standing here saying, God, give him a heart like a teenager again. And I want you to know that in the moment he said that, suddenly my heart was changed and I just had this incredible love for teenagers. Because I saw, it was just that he had said, that these are the ones with sickness of soul. And uh, so we went on and said, yes, of course you're going to say yes after you get the prophecy in front of the whole church. <laughs> and that doesn't always happen. You know, uh, in fact, we, we, even when we're training people in the prophetic, we tell them usually don't call people out and embarrass them and all that kind of thing. But that it took that for me. It was done in love. I wasn't I didn't feel embarrassed or anything. But it took that for me to get me moving in the direction that God had. I didn't know it was God's direction for my life. I thought it was just something I didn't want to do. I didn't want to be in, I didn't want to be bothered with those people. 
does that sound familiar? Those people. And it's funny how the very kind of people that you sometimes like, Lord, please don't make me have to deal with them, please. And that's exactly who he's sending you to. The very ones that you struggle with the most. It could be classmates, it could be neighbors, it could be coworkers. It's always the ones that seems like, God, you've got to be kidding, not them. And that's who he's drawing you to. And that's what he did with us. And so we took on the youth ministry, and, uh, but the Lord told us not to do it in the usual youth church way, and that is with a lot of hype and excitement because that's not what these kids needed. They needed a mom and a dad. And so the Lord told us to approach it as a mom and dad. In fact, in previous years, the Lord had given us a prophetic word and said, I've called you to be a mother and father in Zion. So all of a sudden we're called into ministry, frontline ministry with all of these kids, the majority of which did not have their mom or their dad, and in some cases, both. And the Lord had called us into just parenting them. First thing we did when we started the, when we took over the youth ministry was we took it out of the church and invited the kids into our home. So instead of having youth services in a church building, we just had the young people to pile up, and I do mean pile up, <laughs> in our living room and dining room in our house. And there we played games and had fun, and we taught them songs that the Lord had given me and Carol. That's another thing that happened. God equipped us for the work. He equipped us. So we'd, I'd, he, he'd give me these songs in the night I would dream that I was listening to the radio and I'd hear a whole song, all the lyrics, all the music, everything. Wake up, write down the lyrics, get with the musicians or get to a computer. In those days, I was working with a computer to play the notes one note at a time to get the songs out. And we would teach these young people these songs. All of these, most of the songs were really just reinforcements of the word of God reinforcements of a word that they had never had because these were kids they never they didn't never they never went to Sunday school so when I say they knew nothing about the things of God I mean they knew nothing the only time they went to church was on Easter and Christmas a funeral or a wedding that's it <laughs> that's the only time they went to church so God had us to teach them uh, the basics in the Christian faith, using music, using songs. Um, and here's the thing that's really strange. God gave me a rap. I became a real rapper. I became a real rapper, and Carol too. Yeah, God made rappers out of the out of these two people who couldn't stand it. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, okay. I knew you would say that. I won't do it in rap form, but I think about a song we had called "Parental Proverbs." Uh, well, let me see. Listen to your father's words, and can't you hear your mother's heart? Can't you see the lowly path you're on? Makes a life that slowly falls apart. Don't turn away from daddy's words, and please don't break your mother's heart. Come back to me, my wayward, my little girl. My son, won't you come on home? Yeah. Wow. I'm just a daddy, and I don't know how to say how I feel when my children stray away. How they, I can't even think of all of it. But, it's, but yeah. And then God gave me one. What was the, one of the ones they, they really, really loved was we wanted them to understand praise and worship and what it means to be before the throne of God. And so God gave us this rap called At Your Feet. Now, you'd have to help me with that one. Uh, it says, and it comes right out. It was Revelation, the fourth chapter, but put in rap form. Uh, in the book of Revelation, John wrote of another nation. Let's take a trip to the heavenlies. You don't believe? Then maybe I can help you see into the realm of eternity. You can't get there by no rocket ship. Don't trip. Space shuttle, that's not the right equip. You got to get down on your knees with me. You pray to reach the throne of grace, 
must bow your head to reach this place. In Revelation chapter 4, it says there is a door standing open so you can see some more. And then behold, I saw somebody sitting on a throne. He was like a jasper stone. He had a shimmer like a crystal clearance, a rainbow all around by appearance. And from the throne came a sound, and the thunder and the lightning shook the ground. And fire was burning right before the throne on seven lamps. It must be God alone. And four living creatures, each one with six wings, day and night, they do not cease to sing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what you see when you get down on your knees. I don't know why I'm sharing all of this with you except to tell you, you don't know what will happen to you if you say yes. So God took these 1960s, 70s young people and made them my mom and dad over these 1980s and 90s kids and made us rappers. <laughs> and that's just the music side of things. The others are the more important stuff. There was a one young like one young girl, she was about 15 years old. And we got the call that she had tried to commit suicide and her mom didn't know what to do. And so we told them just uh, after she was in the hospital, after she was released from the hospital, they didn't quite know what to do. So we just said, well, bring her over to our house. She can stay with us. And this is the stuff that the professionals deal with. I don't, we don't know what to do with somebody who just tried to commit suicide. I think she had taken overdose of pills and sleeping pills. So we didn't, we didn't know what to do. Okay, all right, she can come to our house. So she they brought her in like a Friday evening or something, and we're wondering what to do, what to say. And so the Lord just told us just leave her alone, let her be. Uh, now, we didn't know this. We let, she slept most of the weekend. I'm sure that she was still dealing with the residuals of the sleeping pills, but the Lord just told us just to leave her alone. Just don't bother her. And she later told us what changed things in her heart. She said, I woke up and I heard the sound of mom praying, talking about Carol. I heard mom praying. Now, and my wife has a habit of when she's praying, she just hums and sings to herself. So while she's washing clothes or, you know, cooking, you know, doing the dishes, whatever, she's singing and humming and and they all had come to know that. And so when she woke up and she heard the sound of mom praying, she said it healed her heart. So it's not even these, like I keep getting saying this, it's not these big moments that makes the big impact on people. It's just day to day. What we're doing on a daily basis, the things that we're not even paying attention to. We don't even realize something special is happening because we're just simply living our lives and just hearing the sound of mom praying healed her heart. She went on to graduate high school, graduate college, uh, went back to school, got her master's degree, and now she's living out in L.A. <laughs> going for the thing that God had put in her heart. She's an incredible writer. And so she's out there. God has opened up the door for her to now move forth in the thing that he's called her to. This is astounding. There's another young lady that we took in, and she, uh, at the time that she came to live in our house, she had been walking through her high school corridors and just kind of in a daze. She didn't halfway know where she was. Been through much abuse, uh, verbal, sexual, uh, physical abuse. And by that time she was only 16, 17 years old and had lived way too much 
had seen way too much, experienced way too much for a teenager should ever have experienced or seen. There were things she experienced when she was 10, 11, 12 years old that no kid should ever see. And so by the time she was part of our youth ministry and we found out that this is what was happening to her and her mom was in no condition or position to not only know how to deal with her but even to take care of her. So Carol and I kind of looked at each other, sat down together, and made the decision, okay, we'll take her in. We knew this one wasn't, wasn't going to be a short-term deal. This wasn't going to be a weekend thing. This was going to be a little bit longer to bring someone into your house, make them part of your family, and, uh, and having no idea how to handle this. The best thing that we knew to do when we set it up for her to get professional counseling uh, and we would drive her to her counseling sessions. But beyond that, we didn't know what to say or do other than just to live life in front of her. And so she saw, in her own words, she said, what touched her was that we were the same. She said, you were the same when we were at the youth meetings, you were the same when we were at church, and you were the same at home. I found out that you guys were real, that you weren't hypocrites, that this wasn't another set of pastors who were one way out front and different when you get home. Wow. It's never what you think it's going to be, just everyday life. We had a young man that lived with us for about a year, and he didn't have his dad in his life been tossed around through, um, through various systems, relatives, living with different people. Um, very brilliant young man. By the time we got him, came to live with us, he was actually in college uh, going for his degree. But it just reached a point where he had nowhere to stay. And if he could just stay with someone and work and go to school, at least he could save up enough money that when he, you know, he could actually have a good start in life. If he could just get somebody to help him through this one season, and many of, many of you have been there, all of us have been at that place where somebody, if they could just help me to get over the hump, I'll be okay. And so what, they, what he needed was just a place to stay while he's working and going to school, which would give him the chance to save enough money so that you can get his own, you know how it is, get your own place, get your own car, finally get going on your own. So he stayed with us. And again, this is another one who later said, um, after he got married, he has two children, and he traces it all the way back to, he said, it was when I stayed with you guys. He said, that's where I learned how to be a husband and a father. Not because I sat down with him, uh, or Carol sat down with him and said, this is what it takes. No, he just watched it. And we didn't pretend. We, we, you know, he, he watched us uh, have our arguments. He watched us disciplining our children. You know, sometimes when you've got people in your house, you know, you, you behave a little bit better. But you can't do that for a year. <laughs> you can do that for a weekend or two. But you can't do that long term. Who you really are is going to come out. <laughs> and he traces it all the way back to that time. And again, the reason why I'm sharing this is because I want you to understand the call of God on your life. The call of God is not some ministry position that you and I will hold standing in a pulpit. It will not be necessarily incorporating your own thing and having a 501c3 organization it's not necessarily and i see that a lot we see that a lot in harrisburg where people feel quote called to the ministry and so they'll go and you know go downtown to the department of state and incorporate and all of that stuff and it's like no no if you feel really called to the ministry start at home <laughs> start with those teenagers we know that for us, um, we didn't depend upon the children's ministry of our church to teach our children. 
children's ministry started in the greenhouse. We didn't depend upon the youth ministry to give guidance to our teenagers. The teen ministry started in our house. When our children became young adults, we didn't depend upon the singles ministry. Johnny's up here nodding his head. We didn't depend upon the singles ministry of the church to give, <laughs> to give guidance to our children. Singles ministry started in our house. So for all those who are feeling like I'm called to ministry, what you're saying is I'm called to be a mom and dad, mom or dad, a husband, wife, a sister or brother in my own house because that's where ministry starts. A few years ago, there was a well-known African-American pastor in Florida. His church grew to 8,000 members uh, and they lost it all. They lost it all. Uh, He had a cocaine habit and then he started uh, into several different affairs. That's not even the worst part. You said, what could be worse than that? That when it was all discovered and everything, his church, meaning the elders, the leaders, he never sat down. And they asked his wife to stay away from the church because her presence makes everybody feel awkward and feel strange. And she said, I thought that we should put the family first. I feel that he should sit down for at least a year and we just work on our family. She said, even when I called prominent, well-known preachers around the country to ask them to help, they said, they told her, well, you need to think about the church. You need to consider the people. So let him go ahead and stay up and minister because you need to, you need to be thinking about the people. And she said, and I thought that we're supposed to minister out of the health of our family. I thought it was supposed to come from the family first. Well, eventually, um, it all fell apart, and he was found dead in a hotel in New York. Because so many put the emphasis on ministry, stuff that goes on out front things that go on on stage. The Lord gave me this little song while I was a youth pastor. It was, uh, nobody will know, but God won't forget it. Those things done in secret, no fame or acclaim. Nobody will know, but you won't regret it because he's keeping a record of what's done in his name. That's what we're called to. So understanding that your call means that uh, it involves so much more than being a pulpit teacher, a stage preacher. Even with all of the opportunities that are opening up for us, we need your guys, we, we need your prayers. Continue prayers and support. The reason why I'm sharing it with you is because for us, that's still not the most important thing. Thank you, Lord, for a TV broadcast. That's awesome. That's great. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities to go and now take this teaching and training to other churches uh, uh, around Harrisburg and other counties and in different parts of the United States. That's, that's great. But still, what always matter the most is our family. It has to work with our family. It has to. And as you're coming up on this Christmas season, please know that uh, God wants to use you in a powerful way with your family. You may only get to plant some seeds this year, but be bold and plant them. One thing that has happened after this, now that we're post-election, and you probably remember me saying this the last time we were here, since last time we were here was just two days before the election, that no matter who wins, the church is gonna be involved in some serious warfare. How many of you see the lines being drawn right now? We've reached a point now in this country 
where I mean, when I saw that they're even attacking the young, the young couple on the on the uh, HGTV program, Fixer Upper. I mean, they've got to be the sweetest couple in the world, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Some of you, you may know about them. How can you attack them? What have they done? They haven't said anything against anybody. They haven't spoken out against anything. Why? What's the big trouble? Well, because their pastor, the pastor of their church, has spoken out against gay marriage then they're being, they're being attacked. So we've reached a point now, here's what America is saying. That even if you attend a Bible-believing church, your company should fire you because they're pressuring HGTV to fire them because they attend a church that's fundamental, fundamentally Bible-believing. That's the message that's now being conveyed. Your company should fire you because you attend Cumberland Valley Church. Anybody see the lines being drawn? That's the message. And so it's extremely important for us in this season, in this time, to be ready to make the stand, be bold. That was my whole point, be bold. Since the world is going, coming at us this boldly, this isn't the time to shrink back. Now it's time to be just as bold. Okay, well, if we're gonna fight, then you're gonna know you are in a fight. Not with me, but with God. I'm going to be bold now. Um, I know that Christmas can be a very controversial time of year. There are some believers uh, because they know about some of the negative aspects of Christmas. And what do I mean? They know some of the origins. They know that it's pagan. They know about some of the, uh, the anti-Semitic parts of Christmas. Uh, but that still should not stop us from still being bold. In other words, you may get hit with the argument. Well, you know, December 25th is not the actual birthday of Christ. Well, we, we know that. We know he wasn't actually born on December the 25th. But why does it exist? December the 25th exists as a day to acknowledge the fact that he did come. He was born. It's not about the day that he was born. It's about the fact that he was born. Anybody, yes. you can put that in your arsenal right now. Just go ahead and take that. And I'll put that in my arsenal. Right, It's about the fact that he was born. It's not about the day. It's to acknowledge that he really did come. And the reason for him coming. It's about that. So be bold. Be bold. I didn't say be argumentative. But just be ready to take the stand. Yes, I do believe. I, you know, if you get asked that question, you mean you literally believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He's God? Yes, I do. I do. I, not only do I believe it in my head, but I know it in my heart because He lives in me. Come on, bless the Lord. He lives in me. The bold stance now is in our testimony. They overcome. By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Go ahead and be real and talk about because before he came into my life, I was this way. But now that he has come into my life, in fact, even take it beyond just simply saying, I believe. No, this is my conviction. This is my reality. One of the things that many in the world and even our own family members don't understand, they think that you, just, you and I have just simply embraced another religious belief. So you, be bold. You and I, be bold and say, no, it's not just another religious belief that I have adopted, that I've attached to myself. No, this is a living reality. Not only was Christ born in a manger 2,000 years ago, but Christ was born in here, in me. That's what Christmas means to me. I'm not just celebrating the fact that a baby was born in Bethlehem all those years ago. I'm celebrating the fact that the Christ, the living Christ, is born in me. That birth took place in me. He is real. He is alive. 
Yeah, and he's changed my life. I used to be this way, but look at where I am now. I'm not all that I'm going to be, but I'm certainly glad I'm not what I used to be. Come on, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I want to close with this. Um, I believe God wants to make this Christmas season a time of great expectation and hope for our families. There are a lot of hopeless people in the world right now. They're in a panic. They're in an absolute panic. Um, for folks who are upset that Donald Trump uh, won the election, I'm telling you they're in an absolute panic. And some of them may be your family members. So if you were one that voted for Donald Trump, please don't gloat, don't boast. You're not helping. You're not helping. Because they're in fear. And what drives out fear? Perfect love drives out fear. So it's not the gloating and the boasting because that's not what's going to help. They're in fear because all that they had their hopes in all that they had their trust in has been taken away. One of the things, prophetic words that we heard after the election was that God did not just simply take the crown away from Hillary Clinton and give it to Donald Trump. God took the crown away from Hillary Clinton and he took it for himself. So even for believers, do not put your trust in man. He's still a human being. Very fallible. Could break every promise that he's made. Then what are we going to do? <laughs> then what are we going to do? Are you going to trust God? That's right. We're going to trust God. Because that's what this was about anyway. This was about the king of glory stepping in into the land that he ordained for his purpose and saying enough is enough I'm taking this myself yeah and for us as believers now we don't go around par parading and boasting in the, in the election results we're still saying God we're trusting you because this is a human being he's never operated in this realm before he is already we know he's overwhelmed because this is a whole nother level how many of you remember when the first time you stepped into or came to understand spiritual warfare? You have to understand this is spiritual warfare that most of us believers we've never experienced and will never experience in our lives. To be the leader of an entire nation? Can you imagine the level of warfare? So we must trust God and be faithful to pray for him that was my side note my actually I was saying be <laughs> so be ready to impart hope in your family members who are in despair right now hope meaning an expectation I want to make it real practical an expectation in God that's what hope actually is it's an expectation that I have in God and in his word So it's a turning away from the attention, yeah, attention to the world and all of the things that I had to depend upon and did depend upon. I know that in the inner city communities, like in Harrisburg, that are very, very afraid right now. Because when you have a changing of the guard, there's a changing of policies. There's a changing of where money goes. So they're already embracing themselves for cuts Cuts in welfare, cuts in funding, cuts in tutorial programs, cuts in food, cuts in basic stuff. And so we have to understand when, you, when you're talking about the fear of losing basics in life, then we can't take that position. Well, well, you ought to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Well, you need to be off of that stuff anyway so you can take care of yourself. Take care of yourself with what? You have to understand, I'm not talking about from God. We know from God's point of view as godly people to trust God, but they're not godly people. They don't know how to do that yet. 
So it takes us as the people of God to be the ones to come on board and actually do what the church was always supposed to have been doing anyway. It was our job to take care of the poor and the widows. It was our job. It was never the government's job. It was our job. And so what I see is us taking this opportunity that God has given us. I see this as an opportunity, a four-year opportunity for the church to step up and do what we've always were called to do. I said it before, I'll say it again. If the church had been doing this all along, many of the progressives wouldn't have, they wouldn't even have a platform right now. Because their platform is built on, let's help the poor. Let's help the disenfranchised. Now we know that there's a demonic thing behind it that's just gonna keep the poor always poor keep the disenfranchised, always disenfranchised. Because when the church steps in, we will help, but we will also teach. We will give you fish, even as we teach you to fish. Yeah. yeah. And so we're fighting. Wow, didn't mean to get into all of this. The reason why we're fighting, because we're still fighting that we can still exist, <laughs> fighting for the right to exist, to operate in our religious freedoms, to help people to fish yes lord so can you see the battle one side on the other and god has us right in the middle of it and he doesn't even say start at the state capitol he didn't say march down to the health and welfare office and no no just start with your family and your friends and i'm saying start this christmas start this christmas hope expectation give it to them Lord, I thank you for helping us in this hour to understand the call that is upon our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the Christmas story that each and every one of us has, that this new life has been born in us, that your presence, your presence is here. And Lord, we thank you for giving us practical, everyday opportunities, especially in this Christmas holiday season, where people are a little bit more mindful of giving gifts and hearing this kind of talk. But I thank you, God, for giving us open doors to be able to speak and to demonstrate your love in this season, to demonstrate your purpose in hearts and homes in this season. Thank you, Lord God, that you have given us this ministry of reconciliation, this word of reconciliation, because we are ambassadors of your kingdom. We are ambassadors of Christ. And we thank you for the honor, the privilege to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, bless the Lord today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God.